So uh, I don't have to tell you this, you, you know this, but um, I'm going to say it anyway, that our culture is very quickly changing. There's things happening very rapidly and uh, uh, just one generation to the next, things that seem very obvious to one all of a sudden are, are hard for us to get our head around. I was, I was riding in the car this was it maybe a couple weeks ago uh, with my boys and one of them was complaining and he was saying the same thing over and over. And so I said something that my dad used to say to me and I said, you sound like a broken record to which my son looked up at me and scrunched up his face and he said, what's a record? And, and why do I sound like a broken one? And I went, how do I even, he doesn't even know what it is. I didn't even know how to start. So it was kind of like, never mind, just, just quit complaining. And so, you know, the things that we say and even uh, things that come and, and, you know, one generation to the very next here, here, my youngest son, Quinn is taking pictures uh, with the iPhone and he knows how to use it. He's two years old and he's taking pictures with it. And and I'm thinking here, my freshman year in college, I was the first class at Texas A&M that was required to have an email address. And so you think, you know, the, the, the thing there from one generation to the next, the things that we kind of scratch our head and we, we can't even almost see and figure out. And so I was thinking about that this week as I kept reading over and, and working through 1 Corinthians 11. And I bring that up is because uh, in a lot of ways, this is a difficult passage and there's some obscure, very hard things to get our head around. And, and I bring that up is just because of the difference in culture. Some of the things that we have trouble seeing, especially in this passage today, sometimes in the Bible, is, is we're missing cultural differences and we really struggle with it. And so I'm just going to be real honest, lay the cards on the table. This is a difficult passage. Uh, as I stood up and read it and as you were listening to First Corinthians 11, you were probably thinking, Okay, well, uh, where are we going? I kind of felt that a little bit this week, I'll be honest. On Tuesday, I was going, well, I could just skip right on to, to 12 or, or the end of 11. But uh, we believe all of God's word is inspired and is profitable. And, and uh, there's some really great things here. And so there, it is a little harder. And uh, as we begin to look through this, I'm just going to tell you, we're going to look at all of 11 today. And what, what I'm going to try to do in the kind of pull back and see the big picture, not try to get bogged down in some of these cultural things that are very hard for us to really get through and, and see. And uh, so what I want us to see is, is just thinking big picture, 11 chapters, 11 through 14, we start to see in first Corinthians, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he begins to give them some instructions for their worship together as they gather together and what that looks like. And, and so just have that in your mind, big picture of as, as they're coming together. But then in chapter 11, and I kept going back and I began to look at the whole of, of this and the way it's coming together. The way I want us to go at it and look at it today is good and bad distinctions within the church. Good and bad distinctions. Things that are good distinctions that God has ordained and he's told us are to be in place. And then distinctions that through sin we begin to put into place and we make distinctions that are not good. And so what I want us to think about as we think about that is, is which ones are good and which ones are bad and why. Why is that the case? And so that's the way we're going to go at it. And so I'm just going to jump right in and begin with good distinctions within the church. And you see one here, and, it, and it, we've got to fight through it a little bit to kind of see exactly what's going on. But look at verses, starting in verse 3 to about verse 7 is what Paul says here. Uh, he says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it's the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, 
then she should cut her hair short. But since it is a disgrace for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image of the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. And neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. And I'm just going to stop there for a second. And what we get into here is this idea of adornment and the way they were dressing and what was going on in their worship together and how that relates to men and women and their roles and all these different things. And as you read and as you study and as you look through this, there is a whole vast uh, differences on exactly what's going on with the head covering and what that means and what that looks like. Uh, I read probably 150 pages of old notes and different things this week and going through that and all these people that I really respect and you and you fight through and you look at the words and all these things and you see all these different uh, interpretations of exactly what that means. And you see a lot of things, uh, some will say it's, it has to do with just modesty uh, the appropriate dress for worship, some has to do with wedding, like a wedding ring and, and marriage and all these different things that are there. But one of the things that kind of everybody was agreeing on and I kept coming back to and was looking at is Paul's pointing us to this differentiation that there is a difference between men and women and that those lines should not be blurred, that those should be a clear distinction that there is a difference between man and woman, and so instead of getting bogged down in some of the particulars of exactly what does this mean or that, that mean and, and get into that, I just want us to think about the difference between men and women and why he would say that, why he would want us to hold to that uh, distinction, that that is a good distinction. And so that's the first thing I would say. The good distinction is there's a distinction between man and woman and that that should play out uh, in the home but also in the church. And that good distinction of what, what we see as we, as we work our th- way through Scripture, and even you see it here, is that men and women are created differently and they have different roles. That we, what we would say in this church, it's what we hold to in this church as part of our doctrine, is that men and women are complementary. We would say we're complementarians in our doctrine and what we believe. And what that means is that men and women are completely equal. They are equal in worth and value before God, but God gives us different roles and our different roles complement each other. That when they come together, they complement one another. And I think Paul's bringing us to the importance of that and showing us that, that it's good that those distinctions be held and kept in place. What part of what was going on culturally is by not having head coverings and wearing them and not doing these things, they were starting to blur the lines Culturally, that was a way to distinguish and to point to men and women. And so Paul says, well, wait a second, you're getting a little off here. This is the same in all the churches, and this is what everybody's doing. And he says, we don't have this practice, so you should hold to this distinction. And so what you see is this picture. You see it in verse 3 where he says, I want you to understand the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. He shows us there. And then verse 8, he says, For man was not made from woman, but woman was made from man. We, we preached on this a while back, not too far back. You see that in Genesis. Uh, in the creation account, God took Eve out of Adam, uh, created him first, and then her second put this together. There was reasons he did that. That was part of his design. And so we'd put all those together and say that God did that on purpose, and he created us differently. And so when you read this and you start to see this symbol of authority and, and, and the head of the wife is the husband and all those things, a lot of times that makes people today kind of go, whoa, wait a second, what's going on there? And so what we see though, when we read and we take all of scripture and we put together and Paul helps us a lot in this, we see it here, we see it in first Timothy two, and we see it in Ephesians five. 
you see this picture that, that begins to emerge is that God's made men and women different and he's charged men to have a, a leadership role in the home and in the church. And it's not a matter of worth, but it is a matter of God's design that we are meant to complement each other. And so Paul is pointing us back to that's important that we keep those distinctions in place. This is a good distinction that he tells us and he points us to. And so the first thing I would say, the good distinction that we see here is the role between men and women. And he says, I want to affirm that and make sure that that doesn't get lost here. And so he says that's the case and he points us to that. We'll come back to that a little more in a second. But tied with that is a bad distinction that can grow out of that. Right? God says that I made them in this, I made you in this order and I gave you roles and you go together in this way and all these things that he puts together. But then what can often grow out of that, and this is a bad distinction that will come up in the church, is creeping its way in in Corinth, but it happens today all the time. And it's this, what happens is sometimes we will go way far and take this teaching that man is to be the head. Head here means authority to be in a leadership position, a spiritual leader. And we'll take it and we'll go way far and we'll end up with uh, this macho kind of attitude that men are better than women. And we're smarter. It has to do with we're better and so we're now the leaders and this kind of thing. And that is absolutely false based on the Bible. Yes, there are complementary positions in the way God does it, but it is not about uh, worth. And I would say the bad distinction that creeps in is when we begin to uh, assign worth based on God's order. Yes, there is an order and there's a way those things together. But if we begin to say man is better or greater than woman because of this, we've missed it. And he shows us this. And I think he even says it real clearly, even in our passage here in verse three. Look at what he says in verse three. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. Christ is the head of the church. He is our authority is over all of us. We all submit to Jesus. And then it says the head of the wife is her husband. Right? And that, that's that picture that I'm talking about in, in creation, what God has made for man to lovingly lead out in his family and in the church. But then look at what he says in the very last part. And the head of Christ is God. I want you to think about that statement for just a second. The head of Christ is God. And when we look at all of Scripture and we want to make sure we're seeing the big picture of what the Bible teaches us about Jesus and who God is and the way they relate, that Jesus is God. Right? John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. As you read further down, you see that that's Jesus. It says, And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus and God are both equally God. They're both equal in person and in value and everything. They're both fully God. They're completely equal. Right? You see that in Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus is the exact imprint of the very nature of God. That is, when you see Jesus, you're seeing God because there's one and the same. And so when Paul says here that the, the, the head of the wife is the husband and the head of Christ is God, we see so clearly this, this link there that men and women are equal, just as Jesus and God are equal. It's not one is better than the other, but they do have different roles. And you see that as you read through in Scripture, you see it so clearly in Philippians chapter 2, but Jesus willfully submits to the Father. Right? You see that in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. Or Jesus will say, uh, I don't say anything except what the Father is telling me. Everything he says is in perfect accord with the Father, but there's times when Jesus submits to what the Father has sent him to do. And so what we get is this picture of there's not an inequality there. It's just a difference of roles. 
And so the bad distinction that I want to make sure that we're so clear that we don't twist a very biblical distinction between men and women into being something it's not. And what I mean by that is when we twist it and distort it into a kind of macho, overbearing, ruling, I'm in charge and you don't talk back to me and that kind of thing, that is not biblical. I heard Sam Storms, a wonderful pastor in Oklahoma City, speaking a few weeks ago, and he looked at a room full of men and he said that pastors, and he said, if you get into that, he said, I'm going to tell you right now, you are a coward. And I went, yes, amen. And he holds to this clear picture of our complementarian roles and the way that they go together and the way we complement each other. But does, that does not mean an abusing, overbearing role. That's not what it is. In fact, Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, you're to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Kind of the opposite of overbearing, taking, you know, being that kind of obnoxious way. And so I want to make sure that we see that. The bad distinction that I want to make sure we see, see clearly is worth is not read into God's order. Right? God's order is there for a reason and he gives us roles and he gives us purpose, but it's not uh, an inequality that's there. Man and woman are both made in God's image and after his likeness, Genesis 1.27. We're both fully made in God's image and when you put the two together, we reflect back more fully who God is because he made us differently. And that's a good and wonderful distinction that should be held to, but the bad of it is when we distort it and twist it, and we want to make sure that we see that that's a bad distinction. And so we've got a good distinction and a bad distinction. There's another bad one here that comes to play in the way they were celebrating the Lord's Supper. And I'll go back to where I started at the beginning, the ways that we struggle culturally with understanding things. And I think part of what's going on with the Lord's Supper here. And what he says we miss because we're missing what's going on in the culture. It's very different than for what it is for us. And so just look with me for a second, verses 17 to 22, and then we'll kind of fill in a little background to hopefully clear this up. But the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. But when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And so Paul has some pretty harsh words about what's going on with the way they're celebrating, the way they're worshiping, the way they're celebrating what Jesus has put in place in the Lord's Supper. Right? The Lord's Supper is commemorating what Jesus has done. And we, we celebrate that each week. We often use the words that Paul even says here as we do. And what we see in this picture and what we miss is what in, in the first century here, the, the beginning churches often met in houses. They didn't have a church building. They didn't have a place to assemble, so they met from house to house. Now, they would do what we do. They would, they would hear the apostles' teaching, and they would pray, and they would sing songs, and they would encourage one another, and they'd celebrate the Lord's Supper. But what's, what's in here and what's, what's hard for us to see because culturally we're separated from it is what would happen is if you were meeting in a house and the, the assumption is they're meeting in more wealthy, wealthier people's houses because they're bigger, They've got more room to accommodate more people. But the society that they lived in, what would often happen is the wealthy would have a party and they would invite people from lower social classes to their parties. 
but they would make sure that they were aware that they were a lower social class when they came to their party. And so what would happen is they would set up for the, for the people that were in their class, maybe in one room, and they would indulge and have great meals and all this food, and the people in the lower class would sit in the other room. And so it'd be kind of like if you had a party today and you invited the people that live in your neighborhood and you said, we're going to sit near and we're going to eat steak and we're going to drink wine and we're going to have lobster. And okay, you guys can go sit in there and you're going to have hot dogs and Kool-Aid. By the way, if you come to my house, you will have hot dogs and Kool-Aid, not because I'm looking down on you, because that's what we eat. And it's easy to fix when people come over to do hot dogs. But, but what you would see here is, is we miss part of that, that that's going on. And so I think you start to see this very thing happening within their church gathering, and not only within their church gathering, but then when they're celebrating communion. And so what you get is this distinction that's being made based on social class, based on your job or how much money you have or the clothes you're wearing or whatever it may be. And it's And you see Paul going, am I going to commend you on this? Absolutely not. This is awful. And so he calls them out and points them to that. And so we've got to be real careful that we we say this very clearly. Within the church body, there should be no distinctions. We are all saved the same way. We all come in the same way through Christ. And when we start to make distinctions based on clothing or based on where you live or based on how much money you have, it is a direct affront to the gospel of Jesus. That is a terrible distinction that should never be taking place within the church. As I was thinking about that, it reminded me of an old illustration. It's kind of humorous. Maybe you've heard this before, but the the story is there's a church and and a homeless man comes into the church and there's no seats except on the front row and he comes down and he's got all his clothes on. All his layers, everything he owns, and he's carrying garbage bags that has all his belongings in it. And he comes and he sits down on the front row and the pastor's just mortified. And he goes over and people are murmuring and he says, kind of gets onto him about the way he's dressed. He says, don't you know you're in the Lord's house? And the guy kind of, you know, well, sorry, this is kind of all I have. And he says, I want you to go home this week and pray and ask God the way that you should present yourself in the Lord's house. And so he just totally just berates him for where he is in his station. So the man leaves, comes back the next week, full church, comes in late again. He's got the same clothes on, the same bags, everything. He comes and sits down. And the pastor comes over and says, didn't I tell you to pray and ask God what you're supposed to wear to the Lord's house? And he said, did you do what I told you? And he said, yes, sir, I did. And I prayed and I got a clear answer. And God told me he didn't know what I should wear because he had never been there before. And so you see just the picture of how, I mean, that's what Paul's saying. You're coming together in this way. You're coming together to celebrate what I've done for you. And you're putting distinctions based on people's social class. And so that picture is awful. That is a distinction that we will wholeheartedly say we cannot do that. That cannot be part of the body of Christ. And so lastly, I just want us to think about for just a second why that's the case. Why that we need to uh, say yes to these certain distinctions that God's put in place and why we need to fully reject these other ones. We want to make sure that we see that very clearly. And so the picture I want you to have over all this as we consider why is what we often say with everything. That God in his creation and all these things and all these distinctions and the way he's made us are all there to point us more clearly to who he is. To show us more clearly the greater realities of how wonderful the God we serve is. 
And when we start to distort those things that he's put together in his good creation, we're distorting his image. We're not glorifying him. And so we want to be real clear that we're doing that. And so when we think about men and women and their roles within the church, right? And we want to put those in place and and we want to see that in the complementary roles of men and women. We want to point to that and say that uh, that is good because it points to greater and truer realities of who God is. And I think you see that in what Paul says here, just in the way he says it about the the head of Christ is God, right? The the head of the wife is the husband and the head of Christ is God. And that when we are functioning the way God has made us to, men are leading lovingly, sacrificially. Remember, we're to lead and to love the way Christ has loved the church. So it is sacrificially leading and loving and caring leading out in those ways. And when wives are submitting and loving their husband and encouraging them and going together, we're pointing to greater realities of way God the Father and Jesus Christ relate. That Jesus submits to the Father and he does it for his glory and they do it perfectly. And when we begin to do the things that God's assigned us to do in the ways that he's made us to do it, it's a beautiful picture that glorifies God. And so we want to affirm the things that God has put into place and seek to live them out and to do them to the best of our ability and what he's called us through the power of his spirit doing that. And so we want to make sure that we see that. The same is true when we we get to uh, putting other people down in classes and we have to fight against that completely and totally. Or we begin to say women are less than and we have to fight against that completely and totally because the Bible so clearly says we're both made in God's image. And the same thing when we do that by class and we begin to say, well, those people don't have it completely or they're less than because of these external things. I want you just to look here what what Paul says at the end about uh, as he makes his point. He says, I'm not going to commend you in these things. No, I will not. But then look what he says in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord is an unworthy, in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And so he says, let a person examine himself and then so eat the bread and drink the cup. And then he goes on to say that some of you are sick and you're dying and you're in bed and it's because of this. How much more forceful can he say this? And I want you to see so clearly what he's saying. When we come together and gather together as a body of believers, we're coming to what we, what we read in Psalms at the beginning. We're coming that our righteousness, our right standing before God is all because of God's grace and nothing else. And that's why we're gathering. We're gathering to say it's all Jesus. The, the picture of that, that that Christ gave us is communion. Right? We do that each week. Here is the body and the blood that was broken for you. Jesus laid down his life that you could be accepted by God because of what Jesus has done for you. And yet here they were looking down on other people while they're celebrating that. You see how offensive that is. Oh, we're better than those people. But yet the, the symbol they're pointing to says, no, we're all saved the exact same way and it's all Jesus. You can't have it both ways. 
You can't be looking down and, oh, we're better than those people over there. The cross levels all of us at the foot of the cross because we're all saved the exact same way. Because when we come to the table, what we're saying is all I have and all that is good and all that can ever be accomplished and all that any good that can ever come from me is only through Jesus and nothing else. And if I start to add to that how much money I made or where I live or the clothes I wear, it is a direct affront to the gospel of Jesus. And we're doing the opposite. And so this is so serious that we fight with everything we have against those distinctions. And the way that we do that is by continually coming back to the gospel and what Christ has done for us. Those ideas and those thoughts because of our society and where we live and most importantly because of our own own sinfulness will continue to come up. At least I'm not like that guy. Or at least I've got this or at least I've got that. But the picture is that we're saved by Jesus and nothing else. It's nothing in us. And so when we start to miss it in those ways, we've missed it completely. And so when, when we talk about, and we often say this each week, about, about taking a moment and prepare your hearts for coming and, and think about these things, it's, it's such a difficult thing when we start to think about how do we, how do we come in a worthy manner to the table? Right? And, and somebody may think, and, and maybe you've thought this before, I, I mean, I have, I've had different times where you go, didn't have a great week, maybe I shouldn't come take communion. I want you to think about that for a second. If you're not coming to take communion because you didn't have a week, a good week, when would it be okay for you to take communion? You see what's under that. If we start to do that, then we're saying, when I do pretty good, then I'll be good enough to come and have communion with God through what Jesus has done. Right? It's the opposite. It's not that. If we say, oh, I'm good enough this week, then I can come. That's not the case. That'll never be the case. Because if you wait until you're good enough to come, you'll never come. You can't come. It can only be through what Jesus has done for you and nothing else. And so when we talk about coming in a worthy manner, the only way that is worthy is by saying, God, I am unworthy. I will never be worthy. And it's only by what you've done for me and your son, Jesus. And that's it. It's the only way we can ever come. And so I want you just to see how clearly and how important it is when we think about the distinctions that are here and they all find their center and their balance in the gospel. The only way we ever get these things right is through the gospel of Jesus and what he's done for us. The only way that men ever begin to lead lovingly as Christ has called you to lead is through the power of the Spirit. Because otherwise you're going to twist it and distort it and make it into, I'm better and I'm, no you're not. And, and the same is true when we start to look down on other people and we want to make those distinctions that are there that they're not there. We are all saved the same way. We are all sinners that are in desperate need of a Savior. And so when we look at what Paul is laying out for us and we begin to see the big picture, I hope that's so clear to all of us, that we see that so clearly that it's only through what Jesus has done for us and nothing else. That's all we have. Right? We sing that often. All I have is Christ. That's it. And so that's the picture we want to make sure that we see when we look at all these distinctions as they find their head and they're perfect coming together in Jesus and what he's done for us. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you uh, most of all for your glorious uh, representation, the way you've come to us, the way you've revealed yourself to us in Jesus. We thank you that uh, you've saved us in spite of ourselves, that you've done what we can't do for us and we 
We praise you and thank you for that. We pray that each day we would come back to that continually over and over, applying it to every area of our lives. Lord, we just thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for the word and the way that you show us and teach us and guide us. We pray that as we leave here today, we would apply it to our hearts and see you more clearly for who you are. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.